following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Four score and seven minutes ago, we, your forefathers, were brought forth upon a most excellent adventure. Conceived by our new friends, Bill and Ted. These two great gentlemen are dedicated to a proposition which was true in my time, just as it's true today. Be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes! Hey everybody, I am Bill S. Preston Esquire. I am Ted Theodore Logan. And we are Get In Loser! We're starting a podcast. Welcome back to another episode, Big 69. 69 dudes. So, uh, you know, we figured what better way to celebrate episode 69 than by talking about a most excellent Trilogy of movies, the Bill and Ted movies. Oh, yeah. Starting with Bill and Ted Excellent Adventure and ending with a sequel that took 30 years to make. Nope. Two movies. I said ending the trilogy. Oh. (laughs) With a movie that took 30 years to make. Yeah. But it was worth every single year we had to wait for it. Oh, yeah. Because it ended beautifully. What we're going to talk about. The first movie, the second movie, and the last movie, you know, basically just going to go over them a little bit, talk a little bit about our thoughts of them, you know, maybe give you guys a couple, you know, insider things that you might not have known before, you know, just talk genuinely about, you know, what the, why the trilogy, well, at least in my opinion, why the trilogy of movies remains one of the best trilogies ever, in my opinion. And we also talk about how great... George Carlin was. And oh, speaking of George Carlin, our uh, time traveling companion, Rufus, aka Choop, could not be here this week. Uh, he's dealing with a bit of a, a pretty bad toothache, so he just, you know, obviously sitting in a room for an hour and talking probably wasn't the best Hell no. way to deal with that. So he decided to sit out this week. He'll be back next week uh, with his episode for. His first milestone episode, actually, because it'll be his episode, and it's episode seventy. Well, the, so we never, we never really episode. did his uh, episode. He always been close on us for lately. No, he said he had an episode. What episode was that? Matt Cox episode was his. Oh shit, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot you guys oh. roasted. I forgot you guys clown me for that shit. I'm like, what the fuck you doing, chop? Because I don't know. I don't know who this motherfucker is. Yeah, uh-huh. the Matt Cox episode was his. But this will be his first... This will be his first, like, milestone episode where he's doing a... a where he's leading a milestone episode. Yeah. So, good for him. So, so every milestone... I, I, I think I did our year milestone and you did... Did, did we came together for our 50th? 
milestone? Yeah. We're not going to celebrate every single one as a milestone. I'm just saying, like, oh, yeah, this you is- know, 70 episodes is a big feat, you know, and it's cool that it'll be his episode because, you know, he's new to the team and shit. So, Definitely you know. for sure. And uh, we might just calm down for a little bit. Then when we hit our 100 episode, we're going to have clowns. We're going to have fucking buttons. Yeah, when we hit 100, we'll have to do something real special. Like a real special. Maybe we'll do a live video of us, all three of us, tasering each other at the exact same time. <laughs> Don't Yo. hold me to that, though. <laughs> Yo, that'd be crazy. Like, hey, what's up, fuckers? Zap. Uh-huh. Okay. So, uh... Hi, before before um, before you start, uh, Ch- Cheetah, um, hey, I actually watched all three of those movies just recently. Yeah, we know you watched them last night. We're not stupid. Last night and this morning. Yeah, we're not dumb. We know. Hey, I actually did research. First time ever. First time ever. I don't do re. Hold on, I'm not pulling that at myself. Hey, then again, our numbers came out from last month. We hit another milestone. 10,994. No, 92. 92. Uh, listeners or whatever. Yeah, that's uh, it's pretty big. Uh, we're so close. Still to close to so close to a th- eleven hundred or eleven thousand, and we have, we're I'm determined to get there by the end of the year. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, if if you do hear us, just share to share our stuff on social media. Uh, I'm not for sure how uh, the Instagram thingy work, but I know on Facebook. If you guys follow us, share it. Just tell your stupid little friends about us. Yes, if they want, do you want some part of uh, Bill and Ted? Tell them to come at it. Don't tell them that ever. Not just that. All right, well, let's hop on in to a movie, to this trilogy that started with one of the best, if not the best, time travel movie of the 80s. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh... Yeah, um, real quick, um, the original script for the first Bill and Ted movie was written as a, was written by the two guys who made the screenplay. They wrote it in college, and when they wrote the original script, there was a third member. It was Bill, Ted, and Bob, and they had actually acted out the script, you know, um... Ed Solomon, I believe his name is. Oh, uh, yeah. Ed Solomon being uh, Bill. And Chris Matheson being Ted. And then the guy that they casted to play Bob, the character of Bob, just wasn't really feeling it that much. So that's when they ended up cutting out the character and just made it Bill and Ted. Which is a good thing because Bill and Ted and Bob's excellent adventure just doesn't sound right. Yeah, I, I guarantee if you had... Bill, Bob, and Ted, Excellent Adventure. That probably won't make one movie. Yeah, uh, also those two guys, Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson, they both played small roles in all three movies. Uh, in the first movie, they are play, they play the two waiters in the Ziggy Piggy uh, scene with Napoleon in the, in the mall. Uh, <laughs> in the second movie, they're two members of the seance that Missy, that Missy throws... In Bogus Journey. And then fun. in the third movie, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, let me, I gotta look it up real quick. 
Because um, I don't remember exactly. Yeah. Alex Winter. Is it Winter? Yes. Alex Winter claims that he got two types of letters from teachers. Positive ones. Positive ones from history teachers for including students to learn about history. And negative ones for te- English teachers for affecting the way the students speak. Yeah, so basically, at the time, um, the movie did so well that it actually started getting kids interested in history. So history teachers would send Alex Winter letters thanking him for making the movie because it got kids that kids actually wanted to learn about history because of the movie, which is pretty awesome. Oh, and then, you know. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention it. Uh, spoiler alert. If you guys didn't watch these movies... You know. Come on, bro. Face the music out in, like, 2020. If you haven't seen it by now, then... Jerome's it's, fucking it's a, what, what if you were, what if you were in a 27-year coma? Shut the hell up. I'm just saying. You're ridiculous. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon in the, thir- the th- third movie, they played... Literally, this is how they're credited in the movie. Stupid Demon... An ugly demon. So, yeah. That's that's how they credited themselves in their own movie. A stupid demon and an ugly demon. And in... Fun little Easter egg. In the original one. In... In, um... Excellent Adventure. They're credited as stupid waiter and ugly waiter. And then Bogus Journey... Uh, stupid seance member and ugly seance member. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, it's pretty funny that they, uh... It's pretty funny that they, like, put themselves in the movie, but, like... You know, they're just like, we know it's our movie, but we're gonna make fun of ourselves. Yeah, it's like... They don't give a fuck. And, uh... Originally, the movie was originally filmed and finished... In uh, 1987, I believe. But the reason it didn't come out until 1980... Yeah, it didn't come out until 1989 is because the original company that owned the movie rights went bankrupt. So it sat on a shelf for two years. What the fuck? So there could be a reality out there where we never got Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. But then Orion Pictures bought out a bunch of the properties that this original company owned and that's when they found Bill and Ted and that's when they released it. Yo, um, Keanu Reeves almost got that typecast for his whole career. It says, for years, Keanu Reeves uh, uh, will be, here lies Keanu Reeves. He plays Ted. He plays Ted. Like, um, Jason Bigman. I know him as the pie fucker. You mean Jason Biggs? Yeah, Biggs. I know him as the pie fucker. Uh, the guy who plays Hector. I know him as Hector. He's literally credited as Hector in every movie he's ever played. So, of course, you're going to know him as Hector. But, yeah. Um, yeah, a uh, funny thing about Keanu Reeves, seeing where his career is now, is that uh, he at the time, he thought that Bill and Ted was going to be the only movie he'd ever be remembered for. Which is funny, seeing how, you know, how big his career took off. 
But uh, a lot, the one thing that a lot of people say when they talk about this movie is that, you know, Alex Winter, his career didn't take off as much as Keanu Reeves, but Alex did a lot of big shit after, you know, the movies. He, like, became, like, a director. He did, like, a lot of short films, you know? So, I mean, he was still working. He just, you know, he wasn't, like, big in, like, movies or nothing, but he was still out there banking, you know? And speaking of banking... The movie, the budget for the first movie was ten million dollars, and in the box office they made forty point five million dollars. Holy shit! So I mean, that's a fucking bank right there. The uh, the first movie, Bill and Ted: Excellent Adventure, came out on February seventeenth, nineteen eighty nine. Director Stephen or Stephen Hawk Hicks. Oh my god! I don't know how to say his name. Stephen Herrick. Herrick. Yeah. Jesus Christ. You're a fucking mess. I know I'm a mess. You're a mess too. Okay, basically, for those of you who don't know, which if you don't know about Bill and Ted, then you're just a fucking idiot. But if you don't know, basically, the premise of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is that, you know, it stars these two guys, these two, these two buddies, Bill and Ted, who uh, are trying to get their band, the Wild Stallions, to take off. But while putting so much effort into their band, their grades start to slip. And they're told in the movie that if they don't pass their final history exam, they'll flunk out. And not only will they flunk out, but if that happens, uh, Ted's dad is going to send him to an Alaskan military school. So that's when they meet Rufus. Who, you know, tells him, hey, I'm from the future. Uh, you guys, your band can't get broken up because your band literally, quite literally saves the world one day. Like, your music literally saves the world. So, you guys, you know, we have to do whatever we can to keep you together. So, hey, here's this magical phone booth. No, not that one. The other one. Yeah, we're talking about that one. So then you, Yeah, take that one. Go get all these people from history. Past your fucking history test and let's save the world. Yo, you want to hear something crazy? Here's a crazy theory. I just heard this one like not that long. You probably heard this one. Uh, Ted, if if there was an alternate universe, if they did fail the test, Ted went to military school. He will come in known as John Wick. That's not a theory. It's just people think shit. People think wish could happen. Oh, all right. Then um, in the original script, the time machine was a 1969 Chevy van. The film thought that was too similar to Back to the Future, 1985, so they changed it to a phone booth. Apparently, unconnected that that Doctor Who 1963 used a police telephone box as as time machine. Yeah. So. Um. After Rufus gives him this time machine, shows him how to use it uh, so that they can pass their test. You know, that's when it starts, you guessed it, their excellent adventure. Uh, and that excellent adventure starts with them accidentally kidnapping Napoleon Bonaparte. And they, uh, after they accidentally kidnap him, that's when they come up with the idea of oh you know why don't we do that to pass our history tests we'll go through history and start taking all these 
important figures from the past to have them speak for their report, which their report was uh, they had to say what they think historical figures from history would think of San Dimas today, which is what the report was. So uh, after they come up with this plan to do this, uh, they also recruit along the way. They also recruit the help of Billy the Kid uh, and Socrates, or as they call him for most of the movie, Socrates. Socrates. <laughs> where the only wisdom Ted drops on Socrates to get them to join him is by saying, "All we are is dust in the wind, man." Obviously, from Dust in the Wind by Kansas. Uh, And then also along the way, along their travels, uh, Bill and Ted land in 15th century England, and that's when they meet two more important characters that become very important for the future of their band. The Babes. The Babes. The medieval Babes. Joanna and Elizabeth. Their future wives. But after being caught by their father... Uh, they're sentenced to death, which the king tells them, take them to the Iron Maiden. And because, you know, it's Bill and Ted, they don't know anything. They think Iron Iron Maiden, the band. So they say, excellent. (laughs) And they say, have them executed. Oh, bogus. (laughs) After they, uh, after it clicks, then they realize. Luckily, though, they are saved by Billy the Kid and Socrates. Who just barely escape with the booth. Not getting the babes back yet. They That comes later. So this is the last time they see the babes until... Like later uh, on in the movie? Yeah, near the end. Uh, and after escaping from that... They, uh... The coordinates that are put into the time machine aren't... You know, they... Don't get a chance to type it in. The... the phone booth automatically goes back to like you know it's original it's original spot which is in the future where Bill and Ted meet the three supreme beings as they're called um and they have no clue what the hell is going on so they're like oh well you know we see or these the supreme beings obviously know who they are because this is the future where Bill and Ted saved the world, and they're literally icons. So they see them like air, like pretending to air guitar. So Bill and Ted start doing it, and that's when it clicks to them that you know, you know, that's the future where they saved the world. Which uh, that scene is probably one of my favorite scenes of all time. Definitely for sure. I mean, the soundtrack in that scene is fantastic. The score is so good. You know. It, like, gets you, like, pumped hearing them talk. It's awesome. Hold on. Sorry. I got a text. Uh, you got a text. Uh, the phone booth The phone booth time machine was given away as a contest prize by Nintendo Power magazine, which was promoted Bill and Ted Excellent Video Game Adventure 1991. Uh, in the film... Bill and Ted claim that they need Van Halen in their band to make it better after the film was released. The Joker said he would have joined their band if they have asked. Does it matter how crazy that would be? 
Uh, Billington actually went to Van Halen's like, hey, dude, can you join our Wild Stallions for us? Well, that'd, be, that'd be fucking pretty cool. Yeah, um, that's that'd be sick. And when Napoleon finished his water slide presentation at the end of the movie, Ted looks up and says, I don't think it's going to work. He actually degrimmerized Napoleon de Mont with the most disrespectful defeat the French invaded on Russia. We haven't gotten to the history report yet, and you're already talking about the history report. No, I'm talking about the... Uh. Yeah, you just talked about it. We haven't even gotten that far yet. Jesus. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, then, you know, after leaving the future, after telling them, you know, well, this is where it gets kind of, this is where it kind of gets tricky because then, you know, the supreme beings say, oh, tell us something. And, you know, just thinking of, like, what they'd regularly say, they, you know, Bill says, be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. Party on, dudes. Which becomes, like, their thing. It becomes their anthem in the future. Uh, but then, continuing on their adventure, they then manage to find and kidnap Sigmund Freud. Ludwig van Beethoven, Genghis Khan, which they get Genghis Khan in by luring him a Twinkie, which is pretty funny. <laughs> uh, they also get Joan of Arc and Abraham Lincoln to speak at their report. And then after running into a few uh, problems where at one point the uh, the antenna on the phone booth stops working, so they fix it by using cans of pudding and having everyone chew gum. And they just turn it into one big wad of gum. <laughs> that show was funny. Everyone's eating the piece and it's handed off. Yeah, then uh, when they get back to San Dimas, because all this, this whole time, Napoleon has been with Ted's little brother, Deacon, because they couldn't take they couldn't take Napoleon with them everywhere. You know what I mean? Napoleon's like the little dog you don't want to take everywhere. So they left him with Deacon, but Deacon ends up abandoning it like... Leaving him behind because, as he says, Napoleon was a dick. Uh, and then, you know, he takes they take them all. They take the historical figures to the mall to show them, you know, like what Saint Demas is like today to get their opinion on it. And then all the figures end up, uh, you know, running amok at the mall, and they end up getting arrested. <laughs> oh my god! But then after, you know. Using time travel tricks to, uh, you know, get their, uh, get the guys, get everybody out. Bill and Ted rush to get their report done just in time. Make it just in time to get their report done. And they end up putting on a most triumphant history report. Earning them an A+. And... End up an A+. Plus and... Hold on. Saving the world. Yeah. And saving the world. And then, you know, near the end of the movie, after bringing everybody back and, you know, putting them back where they belonged, then at the end of the movie they're talking about, you know, they're like down in the dumps, like, oh, how, you know, how is our music going to save the world one day? And then, guess who shows back up? Their good friend, Rufus. And this time, he brought them a gift. The babes. The medieval babes. Because it turns out 
the babes are actually part of the band. Mm, what a surprise. What a surprise. But they so maybe it wasn't a mistake that they met the babes. Maybe it was, you know, coincidence. And then Rufus also gifts them with two stellar guitars. Those guitars right there are pretty cool. I saw them actually play. Not them, but I actually saw that kind of guitar played in live. It sounds it sounds fucking amazing. Yeah, and then uh, after giving them the guitars, they start to play, and they re- you realize they're terrible. But thankfully, Rufus tells the girls, don't worry, they get better. And then, you know, credits roll. And yeah. that's basically the the first movie. Yeah. Um, in kind of. The textbooks used by, by Bill and Ted in the film... Was was real high school history book textbooks used in California schools in the late eighteen late eighties? Thank you for that useless information. Uh, char- appreciate characters it. said "dude" seventy times and "excellent" thirty times in that movie. Hmm. Oh yeah, my bad. Uh, to give you a little bit of a more detail, Joanna. Who was married to Preston? Or was married to Bill? She plays drums in the band, and then Elizabeth, who ends up married to Ted, plays keyboards in the band. So that's what happens with them. You, you know, you know the original uh, Alex Wright was was role, was auditioned for the role of Ted, and Keanu Reeves was auditioned for the role of Bill. Mm-hmm. Just imagine, just imagine seeing Bill. Prescott, Escott, Prescott, as uh, Keon Reeves. It's Preston. Preston. I've literally said it like six times throughout this episode. How do you not remember it already? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, before we jump into the next one, just, you know, give you guys a little inside into some stuff. Uh, there was an animated series that was made after the movie. I remember that. Where, for the first season, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter both came back to voice Bill and Ted. Uh, but then, the cartoon was, uh, released the year before Bogus Journey came out. Uh... Uh, George Carlin also came back to voice Rufus, but then eventually they they were replaced with other voice actors. And um, also, what a lot of people don't know is there was also a live-action TV show made, which disregarded the events of sequel Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. And uh, the show kept them in high school and followed them on further time-traveling adventures. However, the ratings were low and critics were harsh. And the live-action Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures didn't last long. Only eight episodes were produced and the show was promptly forgotten. Hmm. Uh, Bill and Ted also had a cereal, a breakfast cereal at one point in time. Which was pretty cool. 
It was uh, the cereal consisted of cinnamon-flavored toasted oat squares and marshmallow pieces shaped like musical notes. Yeah. So. Uh, the actors also were not well compensated for their likeness being used on the boxes. Alex Winter recalled, The cereal is particularly tragic, not the most nutritious food item, and it was weird to walk into a supermarket when you're basically living a regular schmo living in Venice in a shitty apartment. We weren't making the kind of money that actors make today for that kind of stuff. And there you are in a cereal box. So, you know, different times, I guess. Uh, crazy part to even think about this because of how big of a role he is in the movie. But George Carlin wasn't even casted as Rufus until the shoot was almost over. Uh, up until late in production, the filmmaker still hadn't cast the role and didn't know who to go with. As well as Van Halen, a number of other major, rockers, major rock stars were considered for the role, including Ringo Starr of the Beatles and Roger Daltrey of the Who. At one point, even James Bond legend Sean Connery was on the wish list to play Rufus, as was Charlie Sheen. Weird. Eventually, someone hit upon the idea of casting stand-up comedian, legend, George Carlin, and the rest is history. Uh, And then, for the roles of the three most important people, that's who Bill and Ted meet in the future, ZZ Top was asked to play them. What the fuck? Dude, that'd be awesome ZZ Top was. Uh, Fittingly, given the film's rock and roll theme, director Stephen Herrick originally wanted to cast arguably the most famous power trio of the 80s, ZZ Top. This didn't work out, but the filmmakers did cast some bona fide rockers in the roles. The three most important people wound up being Clarence Clemens of Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, Fee Waybill of The Tubes, and Martha Davis of The Motels. So that's pretty cool. They still got some rock stars in their own right. Um, these fucking ads, man, drive me nuts. Uh, there was a completely different opening with a musical number that was shot for the original film. Uh, Alex Winter, when asked about it, said that the scene saw Reeves and himself at a bus stop waiting for the bus to go to school, and we break into this air guitar dance number, this whole elaborate choreographed thing which in another rock and roll connection the actors rehearsed in a dance studio at the home of singer Stevie Nicks Wow! alas alas, after all that work it was decided the introduction was wrong for the film and it was cut Uh, the original the original ending for the first film was reshot because it was so boring the original climax, as scripted and shot, saw our heroes simply deliver a basic history report in their classroom. After this, our heroes proceeded to take the two medieval princesses to prom whilst dressed in tuxedos with shorts. But everyone, including the director, agreed that the ending was over- underwhelming and needed to be a bit more operatic. Thankfully, they went with the history report because it ended up being... One of my favorite scenes in cinematic history. Uh, Polly Shore auditioned for both lead roles. Obviously didn't get either one. <laughs> what are you doing over there, man? 
Nothing. Why? I could hear you rumbling around. It's driving me nuts. The original director of the first movie turned down the sequel because he thought it was too dark. Um, Herrick felt that the bogus adventure was too mean-spirited. And as anyone who's seen the sequel recall, it does get a bit darker than the first film. With our heroes killed off and forced to traverse the afterlife. In Herrick's absence, director Pete Hewitt took over behind the camera and Bill and Ted's bogus adventure was almost as big as a hit as its predecessor. Herrick, meanwhile, went on to direct such hits as Don't Tell the Mom, The Babysitter's Dead, The Mighty Ducks, and The Three Musketeers. Hmm. Uh, the original plot saw Bill and Ted stay starring, starting major historical incidents like sinking of the Titanic. What the fuck? Uh, San Dimas referenced the film in its 50th, 50th anniversary celebrations. So that's pretty cool. Uh, real fun fact also, San Dimas is the name of a retired porn star, Andy San Dimas. Who I wouldn't know anything about her though because you know I'm a man of God so yeah bullshit cheetah. <laughs> uh, Reeves and Winter were cast after they're spotted messing around in a McDonald's queue. So you know, just, just, imagine cool. getting, just imagine getting a job you just fucking fucking wrong with your boy. Yeah, good for them, man. Uh. The phone booth was nicknamed the Death Box because filming in it was so unpleasant. So, you know, that's fun too. Death Box. The film was so popular in Germany that it altered their language. Uh, You might not have known that Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure proved particularly popular in Germany. The German dub of the film actually became a cult classic in its own right. To the point where it started affecting the German language itself. For starters, the German Bill and Ted coined the words Halshi and Granatenstark, which mean dude and excellent, respectively. No translations of these words had ever existed in Germany before, but they became commonplace after the movie. Yeah, I just saw that too when I was looking at that little list. Yeah. Um, also, it was one of three productions to star Genghis Khan and Abraham together, which is pretty sick. Yo, Genghis Khan was the man. He he was in that sports store, and uh, he bites he bites him a bat. He he starts going fucking haywire in there. Yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> Uh, in the original script, uh, Bill and Ted were both nerds, but they were changed because of how cool Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves looked. Uh, and it was originally it was never supposed to be a time or a sci-fi movie. So, thank God we did. Yeah, right. Thank God I went the other way with it. But now, without further ado, on to. Bogus journey. Bill and Ted, bogus journey. Why don't you, why don't you take us away on this? I've been talking a lot. All right, uh, bogus journey. 
It came out in 1991. It was a sequel to uh, Excellent Adventure. But this one, what Cheetah said, was more of a dark path. Because the, uh, like, whoever the bad guy was, uh, oh, yeah, the bad guy, uh, the evil character uh, from the future is called Dananum. Nomalos. Which is... Which is Ed Solomon spelled backwards. <laughs> yeah. Yo, are you on the same page as I am? No, I'm just on Google. Oh, I'm on, I'm on IMBD. Yeah, but real quick, um, this guy who played the Nomalos also plays Han in the Mighty Ducks. No, fuck. Oh, uh, that's why I got to look familiar. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. But yeah, in uh, Bogus Journey, they do take a bit of a darker turn with this movie because the Nomalos, uh, who is a bounty hunter, basically, uh, is sent back in time to try and kill Bill and Ted so that they can never save the world. So he sends two robot versions, Oops. evil robot versions of Bill and Ted to Earth, or to their timeline, and uh, two robot versions kill them. And then start wreaking havoc in their lives, you know, uh, getting the girls, the babes to break up with them, you know, just being total douchebags to everybody. So it kind of like starts to ruin their lives. And while Bill and Ted are in hell, yes, literally hell. Yeah, hell. uh, First, they go through, you know, they go through all these like hellscapes, kind of like these, like these hell, like, I guess you could say like. Hallucinations, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, one of them is Bill's. One of them is Bill's grandmother trying to kiss him, which fun fact. Behind all that prosthetic and shit was actually Alex Winter. He actually played his grandmother. He just wore a bunch <laughs> of prosthetic and shit for that scene. So that's that's pretty funny. But then uh, when they finally meet Death, that's when they you know they challenge him to you know a best two out of three. No, no, the first the first game was um the players like okay we win, oh no how about two out of three, okay, it was like over a hundred games later. Yeah, uh, the the deal was that if they beat him, he would let them leave. He would let them leave hell, and that he would basically be their slave forever. Do you, hey, do you know uh, Grim, the Grim Reaper dude? Oh, William Sadler? Yeah, William Sadler. Yeah, he's he's from Buffalo, New York. It's a good guy right there. And he's still alive. That's the man. Love that guy. He's a fantastic actor. But, yeah. Um, they meet Death. You know, they play him in all these, in these games. And then, after finally winning... Um, they channel, or yeah, they, after he finally accepts his loss, they regain their freedom and their place back on Earth and gain the Reaper as their ally. Now this time, they take a trip to heaven where they're introduced to, uh, first they meet God. You don't actually see God, though. You just see the stairs. Seriously, you hear his voice. Yeah, and you hear his voice, which you don't actually see him. But God introduced them to a Martian scientist and the smartest being in history named Station. Station. 
And the reason his name became Station is because of a drunken typo in the script. And they just ran with it. Uh, he, when they first meet him, he starts off as two smaller-sized siblings. But then when they get back to Earth, he combines into a single man-sized being in the department store parking lot. Uh, while there, they go into the store, purchase random electronics and wiring so Station can build good robot clones of them to assist them in the San Dimas Battle of the Bands. Hell yeah. There, Evil Bill and Ted have kidnapped the princesses and plan to kill them at the end of the Wild Stallion's closing set after Dinomalos arrives to broadcast the end of Bill and Ted to the world. Bill and Ted arrive, intercept the princesses, and let good robot Bill and Ted kill evil robot and Bill and Bill and Ted in a single punch. Hell yeah. Then they want to play their set, but still can't play yet. Just then they have the idea to go back and learn to play a technique which worked in the last movie with Ted's dad's keys. And as they leave in the phone booth, another phone booth immediately shows up with good future Bill and Ted in it. Now with ZZ Top Beards and babies named Little Bill and Little Ted. <laughs> the princesses take their place as drums and keys. Death takes a standing bass as his instrument. The stations play bongo, which goes unheard during the song and looks comically out of place. <laughs> the good robot Bill and Ted backup dance together as the full Wild Stallions line up. They play... Hold on. They play a rendition of God Gave Rock and Roll to You by Kiss. Hold on. I got something on my eye. By Kiss, the legendary Steve Vaughn. Yeah. God Gave Rock and Roll to You 2 by Kiss. Featuring a a guitar solo by Steve Vale, or Steve Vai. It's implied Bill and Ted wrote this song for Battle of the Bands. Then during the credits, it's revealed through magazine covers and newspaper headlines that the plan didn't work yet and the band broke up because of deaths, antics, and creative differences before Bill and Ted reunite as a once-again two-man wild stallions, meaning the prophecy isn't completed yet. I know I kind of just ran through that second movie real quick, but that was because we are running out of time and I, I didn't want to push. Yeah, we still got time. Yeah, but I'd rather, you know, we still got the whole third movie we got to talk about. That's very true. Uh, Here's some uh, quick, interesting uh, facts. Keanu Reeves have collapsed during the movie because of of arm infection. Bill and Ted play a game with death to win back their lives is a refreshing to the, the seven seals. In which a knight plays chess for death for his life. William's uh, Green Reaper also played a bit role as an England, Englishman during the Battle of the Bands. Mm-hmm. He also comes back as that same Englishman in Face the Music. No way. Which in Face the Music, in that scene, it's his own wife and his own daughter. Uh, yeah, he claps. Let me go over uh, well, Bill and Ted are addressed God, the two uh, statues of the best 
based on the suitcase area of the uh, Michael Power and David uh, Navad as homepage to Stairway to Heaven, a nod to Stairway to Heaven, 1943, titled Stairway to Heaven in the USA. Yeah, so basically they put up statues of these guys as a reference to that song, basically. Uh, The evil robots arrived in the parking lot of the Circle K, the convenience store, the same place where Ted and Bill first met Rupus in uh, Excellent Adventure. That's why the second sequel bombed for the phone booth. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Yeah, the Circle K was a 7-Eleven. They just computer generated the 7-Eleven out in the background. No, there's actually a Circle K. Yeah, 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 but when I was reading on this, it was a 7-Eleven. They just the computer guys fix it for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen de- declared that Dick um, did not want to come back as director because he thought it was almost uh, a parody of a movie that it was already a parody. I mean, I can see that. If, I mean, I like Bogus Journey, but if I had to be honest, I think it's probably the weakest one of the trilogy, probably. Yeah. It does kind of fall a little short compared to the other two. Or the yeah, the other two, but and I two, mean I think as a whole all three movies work as a trilogy. I think the I, whole trilogy completely is uh, fantastic. But if we're breaking down each movie I would say that bogus journey probably falls a little short. Yeah, definitely cuz then they really want travel back in time. But you get to see like Ben Franklin and all of them in heaven. In 2010, Keanu Reeves and Alec Hunter say that the script for Bill and Ted 3 was in the works. The trilogy was finally completed a decade later. And without co-star uh, George Carlin, who passed away in 2008. I think that's my biggest... I think it's like the thing that I, I uh, am sad about the most is that he never got to... He didn't get to live long enough to be in number three. Because can you imagine Rufus in number three? would have been fucking great, dude. Oh, definitely. That would have made the movie even better than it already was. Uh, but yeah. Um, so yeah, basically 30 years after. Oh, dude. Before before you get to the face of music. Uh, in the earlier draft of script, Rufus was the villain. The robots make Rufus the bad guy. Bill and Ted Universal was founded in 2425. Oh. That's fucking crazy. Imagine Rufus, like you're cheering for Rufus to be the good guy. And you want to be the fucking bad guy? Yeah, and then, uh, so yeah, it, it took fucking forever uh, to finally get Bill and Ted 3 made. Um, You know, I know for a while they kept saying that, you know, the script just wasn't right, and you know, and they just... You know, they wanted to make sure that it was a perfect script. That was the thing I loved about it most, is that Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves were, like, pushing... They were pushing for years to get the third one made. But they kept saying that they wouldn't do it unless the script was perfect. Because they didn't want to let down the fans. Which I think is awesome. And I think, you know, it's good that they waited, because I think the third one turned out pretty damn good. But uh, in the third one, Bill and Ted... Called Bill and Ted Face the Music. Uh, it finds them... Racing against a ticking clock to save the world once more. 
because now that they're middle-aged men, they still have yet to write the song that will unite the world. So, after being visited by Rufus's daughter from the future, and being brought in front of the the council of important people, and basically being told, hey, you know, you haven't wrote the song that's going to, you know, unite the world. You got basically like 77 minutes to do it now, or the world's going to collapse. Yo, at that time when I said it, there was like 77 minutes left in the movie. <laughs> so, after hearing that, they decide to steal a phone booth and travel to a future when they have written the song to steal it from themselves. Uh, and co-writer Ed Solomon says, when asked about the movie, likened the premise to A Christmas Carol as Bill and Ted get visions of how their lives unfold. But during the writing process, he and Matheson tried to root the story into an emotional truth. I mean, we laughed a ton writing it, but we tried to make a story that was really true to who they would be, where they are in their life, and what is their emotional truth. And can we make a Bill and Ted comedy with all that means to us, but also be rooted in emotional truth? Rooted in disappointments that happen when you haven't lived your adolescent dream? What does it mean to be facing an adult reality? Uh, Solomon stressed that while they're still Bill and Ted, the story embraces the passage of time. Uh, When asked about it, he said, We were certainly adolescent boys when we created Bill and Ted when we were just post-college and very immature. Excellent adventure and even bogus journey are adolescent boy fantasies. We're adults in our 50s now. We've had losses and successes and loves and loves lost and dreams that were dashed. This movie is really starting from that place and we're trying to be really true to that to that to the truth of that. We're not trying to stuff Alex and Keanu into teenage boy characters and have them replay them. We're trying to go, what would happen if they were men? They're still them. I mean, they're still Bill and Ted. So yeah, this basically, the the deeper meaning behind this movie is like, what if you had like this ultimate goal set for yourself, but 30 years into the future, you still never achieved that goal? <laughs> Yo, I was, like I was saying to you, like, once the characters were told they had 77 minutes to save the universe, that is actually 77 minutes of runtime left. That means the events of the movie happen in real time. That's pretty cool right there. Like, when, when's the last time you ever see a concept like that? Oh, you got you got an hour to get everything done in this. Quite literally, an hour left in the movie. Yeah. Like, how, how, how much more movies do that? And then uh, speaking of Bill and Ted, speaking of Bogus Journey being kind of the weaker link, uh, Solomon, Ed Solomon himself even said that he's proud of Bogus Journey in a lot of ways, but it feels uneven, and he believes the flaws of the movie are flaws of the screenplay. It was rushed, he admitted flatly, and after Bogus Journey failed to make the same box office mark as Excellent Journey, all involved pretty much felt that Bill and Ted was done. Uh, and the original movie title for the second movie was originally going to be Bill and Ted Go to Hell. <laughs> but the studio wouldn't give the okay on that because they thought it was too, uh, too, demon. too dark. Yeah. Well, oh. oh, go ahead. Um, and, the, and, face, like, and face the music, 
In the film, Kelly is Rufus's daughter. The late George Carlin played Rufus in the first two Bill and Ted films, and his real-life daughter was named Kelly. The Kelly role is in is in a way to recognize and honor Carla. Yeah, that's you know, like I bet that hits him hard for like losing uh, George Carlin. Oh, sure. Yo, know, it fucking hit like like I know I'm one of my friends. He's a big George Carlin fan. You don't get his you don't get his comedy uh, raunchy in this no more. Well, I mean, he was, at the time, he was a comedian that was going against the grain. He was going after, like, you know, he was calling out, like, big government and shit, which a lot of people weren't doing at that time. Or or, or, or he was doing, like, he say, fuck it. Yeah, um, he was calling out the system, which a lot of people didn't do back then. Yeah. He, which is why a lot of people love him so much. You know, I, I liked him in, uh, uh, damn, not Bill and Ted, uh. Jay and Silent Bob strikes back. Strikes back. He was only in that movie for like thirty seconds. Yeah, but he gave the just the rules of the road, man. I said, on this side, we ain't gay. Go fucking wait in the hallway. <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, after Bill and Ted Two kind of failed uh, in the eyes of the studio, when they were convinced that you know that was the end of it, um. The good thing, though, about, you know, the movie, even though it wasn't a big success to the box office and the production company, it was a huge success among fans. Oh, fuck. People loved Bill and Ted, the first movie. People loved the second. And for years, years, there were campaigns of people begging, just end the trilogy. Just end. We need to know how the trilogy ends. Yo, my- so I think that plays a big part into why... Bill and Ted 3 was finally made because of how much fan love there was for it. Which is awesome because, you know, that's the thing about movies is that people, it helps people connect with other people on a human level. And, you know, and for 30 years, there are still people, people that grew up on the first Bill and Ted 30 years later still saying, hey, when are we getting a fucking sequel, man? Like, we want the sequel. We deserve the sequel. We deserve what the end is. Because... Because, of course, at the end of um, uh, Bill and Ted, Bogus Adventures. Bogus Journey. Oh, my God. Bogus Journey. <laughs> He's going to fucking kill me. Uh, they showed the babies. And if you really broke the age down, they're about 24. Tw- uh, uh, Ted's dad call. Uh, so all you're going to be... All you, Bill and Ted's gonna be like your role models. Yari is at twenty four years old, staying at home. That's about the, that's about a right age gap or something. Yeah, but uh, thanks to thanks to cable TV and blockbuster rentals. Oh, shout out to Blockbuster. Uh, the Bill and Ted movies continued to find new fans, and as Reeves' content star continued to rise, he started being asked by journalists if Bill and Ted might three might happen. He said, I think it really annoyed the hell out of him, Solomon admitted with a laugh. But a little over a decade ago, Reeves was asked about another sequel and said, I wouldn't rule it out. Solomon was sent the video of Reeves' response and connected with Matheson and Winter, and they began talking about Bill and Ted 3 for the first time, culminating in a barbecue at Winter's house, where Reeves came up with the idea that got the ball rolling. We caught... Ed Solomon said, we called Alex and we were like, do you think we should even think about it? Do you think it's worth it? 
And then he called Keanu, and we went to Alex's for a barbecue, the four of us, and we just started talking, like, is it worth it? And what would make it worth it? And what do we definitely not want to do? First of all, we don't want to make it cynical. It was more like, is there a story worth telling that we really want to tell that makes it worth doing again? This was like 12 years ago. We started talking, well, what would it be about? And I'm pretty sure in that meeting, Keanu said something like, the stress, the pressure of having been told your music's going to save the world and what actually might, what that might, must actually feel like and maybe revealing that, relieving that pressure. Uh, the next step wasn't to go to the studio for permission to make another Bill and Ted sequel. Instead, Solomon says they decided to write the script. Uh, then we had a meeting at my house. This was early 2009, maybe may have been 2008. Chris and I had some thoughts and we pitched them to the guys and they were receptive to him, and we said, well, what should we do? And we decided, well, let's write it on the spec. We didn't even own it. It was kind of a boneheaded in certain ways, which is which is, we owned none of the underlying material, but we all wanted to do it right creatively. So we wrote it on spec, getting notes from the guys on a couple different drafts. Then finally, around 2010, we started thinking, okay, this is a no-brainer. That's when they hit their first roadblock. The studio that owned the reboot, the rights to Bill and Ted, not only had plans to reboot it with younger versions of the character, but had already have a script for that version. A script Solomon says he still to this day has not read. The reboot didn't move forward, but the studio was still apprehensive to green white a sequel to a decades old franchise that according to their numbers didn't make financial sense. The first movie never got an international release, so their accounting said Bill and Ted wouldn't play well overseas. The studio was also concerned, Solomon says, about a middle-aged Bill and Ted movie. The project had various fits and starts throughout the 2010s, getting set up with financing that would fall through at the last minute multiple times. But at long last, it was the right combination of financiers, and circumstances that made Bill and Ted music face the music happen. With a heavy assist from Reeves' resurgent popularity, thanks to the John Wick franchise, we also got very lucky with John Wick being so successful and, and Toy Story 4, Solomon said. It just put the wa a wave of confidence under the investors as well. In a separate interview, producer Scott Krupp who's been a producer in all three movies, said fan interest also went a long way towards convincing the studio that Bill and Ted 3 was worth making. Literally any time Keanu or Alex or Chris or Ed would say anything about it, there would just be this little explosion of interest on the internet, kind of culminating to the point where finally Orion and MGM decided, yeah, we're going to do this. And we announced that it was possible, and there was a huge explosion of interest, and I have to say... That made the studios feel like, well, I guess we made a good decision here. Uh, both Solomon and Winter agree that the long road to getting Face the Music made actually worked to their benefit. We had a lot of time to think about it. It took us a long time to put this together, Winter said. When I spoke to him in between takes on set along with a handful of other reporters, we were just continually discussing it, breaking the script down, rewrite it, and it wasn't like, oh, this is done, and it did take a while to get right. But after such a long time away, how did it feel to get back in character as Bill and Ted? 
Winner says any sense of apprehension dissipated after the first week of filming. It wasn't really a question of whether we could find the characters. I think we knew we could find them. It was more like how, no matter how much acting prep you do, or no matter what, the moment you get on set, it's like, is this going to work? But I think in the first week, we all felt like it was working. I know Keanu and I felt it was working just riffing off of each other. So, you know, that's pretty cool that, you know. <clears throat> they uh, they got this movie made. After all this, you know, ups and downs and, you know, twists and turns the movie had to go through. And then... Uh, Along making the movie, that's when they stumbled across uh, Dean Parasot, who became the director, who had attached himself to the project five years before it got made. And while a number of young hotshot directors may have relished the chance to tackle a Bill and Ted movie, Solomon said it was important to have them to have a director who had lived a life. We didn't want some young hipster kid that was going to be snarky and sort of superficial, We wanted somebody who had lived a complicated life and was still trying to make art and not trying to cash in. No choice Dean has made on this movie has been been about anything other than trying to get the best thing on screen. He's great. Then, you know, obviously filming the movie, then the big question then is, you know, Bill and Ted's kids. Because like Chop said, at the end of Bogus Journey, they have two babies. Uh, so, that's when they came up with the idea of Bill and Ted's daughters, Billy and Thea, played by Bridget Lundy Payne and Samara Weaving, respectively. Uh, they also both play a substantial role in the film by, because near like the, like maybe like the middle-ish of the movie, uh, that's when Bill and Ted come to the realization that it's not them who write the greatest song that unites the world. It's their daughters who write the song and they just perform it. So, because remember Rufus said the song had to be written by a Preston and a Logan. And it still is because it's their daughters. Hell yeah. So, you know, you hear something crazy. Keanu Reeves shaved his beard to keep his traditional as Ted Logan. And, uh, you know, there was also a lot of talk after the third movie came out that, you know, could there be a fourth? Would they do a fourth? Would anybody want a fourth? Well, Solomon said that Face the Music is the end of the road for Bill and Ted. He could conceivably see someone else carrying on the franchise with the daughters at the forefront. I think we're done on Alex and Keanu as Bill and Ted. I think we're done with Bill and Ted, but their daughters are lovely. Bridget and Sam are wonderful actresses and are great in the movie, so maybe if someone wants to do a movie with Billy and Thea, they could do it, do that if they wanted to, but that wasn't the plan of this. This wasn't to try to launch that. It was to tell the story of the arcs of these guys' lives. So, I mean, <clears throat> so basically, the Face the Music, if you've never seen it, is Kind of similar to the, the concept of the first one, but now instead of you know getting historical figures to help pass a history test, now they have to get all these great musicians from around the world 
or from throughout history to help them perform the greatest song in the world. Uh, so they end up picking up guys like, you know, uh, Louis Armstrong, Jimi uh, Hendrix, Jimi Hendrix, Kid Cudi, uh, the, the, the flutist from Japan. Oh yeah. There's a flutist from Japan. They pick up uh, Mozart, Mozart. Do you, do you know Mozart, uh, if writes his own lines? I did not know that. I'm like, if like, I like, I will, I will send his links to uh, Shachita. He will look at him. Just selling, selling facts about the movies. That's why I'm keep on getting my stuff out today. Just read them. What the hell? It's, You're sitting right there. Uh, yeah, the writer Ed and Chris apply that the demons who give Bill and Ted directly to hell, demons, Ed applied as demons. Jimmy, Jimmy Hendrix played play guitar left-handed, Hendrix was also able to play both left and right-handed, but many, how, how many of his guitars rested upside down so he could play left-handed as he prefers. Then I said Keanu Reeves shaved his beard for the rolls. Dude, I can't really see Keanu Reeves without a beard right now. Oh. Keanu Reeves learns how to play the bagpipes in, in a very elegant manner for the scene at Missy's wedding. Let's speak about. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, we gotta touch on that real quick. I completely forgot. Man, Missy we ran touched, through the whole crew. We touched upon that before we started recording, but that's one of my favorite running jokes throughout the trilogy is Missy. Because in the first movie, she's married to Bill's dad. Then, the second movie, she marries Ted's dad. How does she marry the bad guy? No, she marries Ted's dad first. In Bogus Journey, she's married to Ted's dad. There's a joke in the end credits of Bogus Journey. There's a news clipping that says she gets married to the bad guy. As like a joke. And then in the third movie, she comes back and she gets married to Ted's little brother, Deacon. And uh, Deacon, uh, Ted's dad was like jealous. Like, I said, this bitch right here. Which is pretty fucking hilarious. So. Um... That, that was that was a great running. It's pretty funny that uh, Sam Sam Samar Weaver, Samara Weaving, Samara Weaving, won the role of Theo in the in in this movie after Keanu Reeves found out that she was the niece of Hugo Waver. Weaving, Weaving. Jesus Christ. Uh, Keanu have worked with Hugo on the Matrix trilogy. How did you say her last name and then 15 seconds later couldn't say his last name when oh, it's fuck. the same last name? Fuck, I don't know. Well, to, to prepare for his role as Bill, Alex Winter took acting lessons again as he was busy with his filmmaking career. That means he steps away from being actor to be a director or a producer. Yeah. Oh, hold on. But, uh, yeah, along the way of, you know, picking up these important people in history to help them, you know, perform the greatest song ever, they also end up being, uh, you know, sent back to hell, which, you know, that's when they're like, oh, the only way we can get out of here is we got to go talk to death. But death doesn't want nothing to do with them because he kicked them out of the band. Or they kicked him. Or they out. kicked him out of the band, yeah. And it, you find out that they kicked him out of the band because he went on a forty-minute solo, 
40-minute guitar solo, and just because of his other antics, so that's where they kicked him out. But then they eventually make up, and, you know, they decide to, he decides to rejoin the band. And, uh, you know, yeah, man. So that's pretty cool. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, Dude, I respect Keanu Reeves. Jesus Christ, I carried that from over here. Jesus, that was rough. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, what's his name? Uh, Let me find where I was at. Uh, In uh, May 2020, Alex Winter launched a social media appearance for members of the public to supplement 30-second video clips of themselves rocking out to a music clip from the film, which some of the clips are being seen used at the final film. Yeah, they, uh... So, yeah, after realizing that, you know, they get back, they have to perform the greatest song at uh, Mile 47, I think it is. It's like a highway, a throughway. A highway highway or something uh, like that. Yeah. That they're performing at this spot. When they finally get back, when they finally get back there, you know, after going through all this stuff, then it clicks to them that, you know, it's not just about the song that saves the world. It's about everyone playing the song together. So then they start going throughout history and they start giving all these other people instruments to play with them. And, you know, then together, the Wild Stallions and literally everyone... Saves the entire universe by playing the greatest song ever written. The the first movie in Bill and Ted's franchise to receive a PG-13 rating by the MPAA since Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bill and Ted Bogus were both PG. Ooh. I don't know what made a difference from the one. Like, Who the fuck knows? I think one of the best parts about Face the Music, though, is probably all the different iterations of each of themselves that they meet. Uh, they end up meeting versions themselves that are very posh rock stars. Uh, they also end up meeting versions themselves who are in prison, who are jacked, who are fucking super jacked. But well, the people that meet the posh rock stars, they were following them to uh, Dave Grohl's house. Yeah, Dave Grohl. It was funny. Dave Grohl comes home. Who the hell are you guys? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. And then. Uh, the ones that give them the idea for the song are their very old versions of themselves. So, uh, dude, that's that's the only made me tear up a little bit. Yeah, and then, uh, hey, but, you, know, you know what's funny? Uh, during the final concert scene, uh, you you can see a billboard for Circle K. Circle K been popular in this. Like, I bet Circle K told uh, Ed, "Like, hey, here's a bunch of money, just sponsor our shit." I mean, the whole movie is, it's one of, like, the most quotable lines of the entire movie. Strange things are a fun at Circle K. <laughs> I've been to a Circle K one time. Yeah, I have too. Uh, I wasn't as impressed as it was. It was badass. Because you're not a fucking true Bill and Ted fan. Dude, no. I was hyped when I got there. No, because where I lived, there was too many Special Ks. But yeah, the first... Circle K. Yeah, whatever. Special what does your fucking brain just, like, forget things immediately after you say them? <laughs> 
You should, Jesus Christ. You should know that by now. We're in episode 69. Damn it. All right. Can we just talk about the the release of this film? Yes. Uh, when they finally dis- decide to release the film, of course, fucking COVID hit and messed it all up. But, you know, they just wanted to get the film out there. So they decided they were going to release it in select theaters and release it on demand the same day. Uh, Krupp, who... the fuck is Krupp? I forgot. I forgot who Krupp was. Who's Krupp? Uh, oh, Krupp is. I'm just making fun of your tiny ass brain. No, I can't remember either. <laughs> oh, producer. Producer Scott Krupp uh, said that he thought he thought that the film's ultimate message would ring true now more than ever. Uh, it was going to be released right between the Democratic and Republican conventions, and we figured everyone could use a little Bill and Ted right now, and then boom, the pandemic happened. And it felt like more than ever, we could use something where we could just spend 90 minutes with these incredible, enjoyable characters and go on this ride and deliver what is essentially a really positive message, which is about how we're all in this together, and we've all got to pull together. Uh, Solomon summed up the enduring appeal of Bill and Ted nicely in a way that makes Face the Music kind of the perfect movie for 2020. The times that we live in right now are so cynical and divided that having these guys who are not divided, who are not cynical with a message that is not mean, with comedy, that's not mean. I don't know whether it'll be perceived as modern or not because there's nothing snarky. There's no swearing. But to us, this has turned out to be a better time. So, you know, the overall meaning of the movie still, you know, of the trilogy will forever ring true, you know. Be excellent to each other. Be excellent to each other. That's all the Bill and Ted movies were ever meant to be. We're just a symbol to... Remind us that you know we're all in this together. My is best thing is like because I seem like I feel like they're like stoners. Like, yeah, it was like a stoner film without actually being a stoner film. That's true. And you know when Bill looks at Ted, like, dude, we gotta go back in time or forward in time to put shit down. Like, oh, like in the first movie, he's like, oh, you know, do you think where my dad's keys be at? Yeah, we go, we go back in time, take the. uh Take his keys and we put them in the sign. They go to the sign. They're the keys. Yeah, I think, I think the little voiceover at the end of Face the Music from Bill and Ted's daughters, uh, I think their little message at the end of the movie is the perfect way to sum up the trilogy as a whole. And uh, in this voiceover, they say, and so it wasn't so much the song that made the difference. It was everyone playing it together. I mean, if that's, you know, not the underlining meaning of the Bill and Ted movies, then I don't know what is. You know, we're living in a very cynical world these days. Yeah. You know, it it costs it costs literally nothing to be kind to each other. We all we got is each other, man. You know, nobody else is gonna save us when it all goes to shit. We gotta save each other. So you know, be excellent to each other, man. Be excellent to each other, and party on, dudes. I know, um, you know what line I was thinking? Because Bill and Ted saved themselves. Like, all right. 
spill on Ted. What are we thinking? He looks at it. They look at each other for a second. 69. 69 dudes or something like that. Why do you always go to say something and then say, but then you're not fully confident about it? You ever notice that, guys? He always <laughs> does that. Drives me fucking insane. I gotta get the fuck out of here before I punch this guy through a wall. <laughs> Good luck with that. Oh, I'll do it, motherfucker. Motherfucker, I'll, I'll, I'll tell Bill and Ted your ass and, uh. You don't even fucking know anything about Bill and Ted, dude, okay? You're not a Bill and Ted aficionado like me. Oh. <laughs> what? I watch the Bill and Ted movies yearly. Yeah, so... Yeah, we did have fun on our trip. I did have fun. Podcast <laughs> daddy, so thank you. Jesus Christ. All right, um, is, we're going to wrap this up. Listen, I got to get the fuck out of here because I'm starving and I'm about to start getting hangry. Um, motherfucker, you let me finish. We're about to wrap this up. Uh, next week is Choops episode. I don't something be something in the store for us. Yeah, no idea what he's gonna do yet, but uh, yeah, I'm excited. You know, I'm. Uh, I don't uh, want to. I don't want to keep sounding like a broken record and say this every week, but you know, I'm just. I'm super hyped that you guys have been. You know, riding with us this long. You know, if it's. We've literally have only gotten better, and this has only become more fun the more that we do it. Yeah, I do like our sloppy style. I mean, yeah, we're kind of all over the place, and, you know, sometimes we do forget shit, but I think, you know, that's what works best for us, you know? People obviously like it, so. But I kind of like that Troop's here now, too, because now that Troop's here, it kind of, like, keeps us. He's, like, the one in the middle that kind of, like, levels us out a little bit. I mean, doesn't make us as sloppy, which I think is good. And when Cheetah's trying to talk, be serious, me and Choops over here just cracking jokes on each other. Yeah, because you guys are literally fucking Henry and Ben. But, uh... So who are you, Mr... I'm fucking Marcus Parks, dude. Marcus Parks. The OG, dude. I'm the fucking... I'm the king of this shit. Hey, um, if, uh... Last podcast on left you listen to us? They're not gonna fucking listen to us. Dude, what they do fucking listen they to They don't. Us? I'm telling you. Trust me. Dude, Joe Rogan. He don't fucking listen to us either. We're not even on his radar. Stop. It's weird. You're starting to sound obsessed now. You sound obsessed. You don't even know how to fucking spell obsessed. Yeah, whatever. It's obsessed. Exactly. Shut the fuck up. Uh, Let's get the fuck out of here. All right, all right. Yo, guys. This is your Wild Stallions, a.k.a. Get a Loser. We're fucking signing off. It's your boy Cheetah. And I'm out. It's your boy Chubb. Thanks for riding along, losers.